Thank you, praise team. We appreciate you, uh, all the commitment you guys make for us to getting here really early on Sunday mornings. And uh, I don't know about you, but I like the skinny bass fiddle here. That that's that's pretty good, pretty new tool. I like that. But anyway, uh, I'd never seen one of those before, but uh, I like it. Romans chapter twelve. If you go ahead and turn to Romans chapter twelve, uh, we're going to continue uh, the continuation of the sermon from last week. My goal was to finish that last week, but uh, evidently there was a lot more that needed to be said concerning what we're looking at. And so really what we're looking at is spiritual living. What does it look like when someone commits their life to God? What does it look like when someone accepts the spiritual calling that's been placed on their life? Now, so many people think a calling is something that a pastor experienced at some point in his life where all of a sudden he stands in front of people and proclaims the word. Other people may say, well, it's a missionary who's been called to a foreign destination or whatever it may be. But let me just uh, clear all that up. We're all called. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been called. And just as Kristen said just a moment ago about taking the, the Word of God into a school of teachers, she feels like God has called her to do that. And boy, when God calls you to do something, there's no greater honor than to step up and do what he's called you to do. But in the process of you being called, he gifts, he gifts you in such a way that he gives you everything you need to fulfill the calling that he placed in your life. And then if he's taken a step further, actually the way he desires you to live for him, he spells it out in Scripture. And that's exactly what we've been looking at last week and what we're going to look at today. So look at the introduction on your outline. As followers of Christ, we are to live above the world's standards. There is a higher standard given to those of us who profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now that standard does not get us to heaven. It's not a measure of whether we meet the standard or not. No, that was handled by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we do know that the calling he's placed on our life is beyond what the world would say is a certain standard. It's beyond that. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And where does that come from? From the Word of God. And that's exactly what he's saying here. So our actions, reactions, and attitudes should resemble a supernatural life. A life that is above reproach. A life that's above uh, what the world would say is okay. So, I want to review a little bit. So, look on your outline. A genuine, excuse me, a spiritual life is a life of genuine love. We said this last week. John chapter 13. Jesus said it himself. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What? If you have love for one another. You can demonstrate, listen, you, can, you have the potential to demonstrate what God has placed in your heart before men. And when you begin to demonstrate that, people will take notice. They may ridicule you. Have you ever been ridiculed for doing what was right? Have you ever taken a stand on what was right and been ridiculed by, as a result of it? Yeah, that, I mean, that comes with the territory. But the thing that we need to understand is there is a calling he's placed on us. So Jesus is saying that the number one characteristic of a believer should be love. Look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. It's really the whole idea. Let it be the real deal. Let it be genuine. Let it be something that's not holding something back but given to. What is love without hypocrisy? 
It's real. It's transparent. Next, we saw this last week. A, a spiritual life is a life of genuine love by fighting evil. Sometimes when it comes to love, look at what he says. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. How are we going to get there? First of all, we're going to abhor or we're going to hate what is evil. We're not going to fall in love with the things that would sow discord. We're not going to fall in love with things that are destroying the lives of people all around us. We're going to stand against that. We're going to be real. We're going to stand on the word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, many of you heard these verses read at a, at, a, at, a, at a wedding. Sometimes I get wedding and funerals confused a little bit. No, I'm not. I'm not. But anyway. <laughs> but look what say, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. It doesn't even go there. If you start acting outside of what love really is, you're, you're no longer in the category of love. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, doesn't rejoice in sin, in wrongdoing. And so we see that if we are going to have a genuine love, a love that comes from Christ, it'll be a love that fights evil. But second of all, it'll be a love that desires good. Look on your outline, by desiring good. Look at Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be real. Let it be transparent. How do you get there? Well, you're going to hate what's evil. You're going to abhor what's evil. But then you're going to cling to what's good. You ever clung to something? You ever, do, you ever dealt with that wrap that you put over bowls and stuff and you finally get it off and then all of a sudden it wads up and you spend time, you know what I'm talking about? Don't you hate those things? <laughs> but it's literally that picture of something that is even stronger than that. It's something that's welded to. Uh, some, some places would say wedded. I mean, they're made one. And basically what he's saying here, he's saying cling, be one with what is good. Now, you know what that means? It means identification. It means you're so much into what is good, uh, uh, what God calls good, that it becomes how you're identified. Have you ever heard someone say, yeah, I know him. He, He is a great guy. Or she is a beautiful woman, not only on the outside, but on the inside. It's that whole idea of what is good. They're clinging to what is good because we live in a world that tries to tear us down. We live in a world that that doesn't move naturally towards that. Matter of fact, there's something within us that doesn't move naturally towards what is good. It's called our flesh. How many of you are aware of that? It's there. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love rejoices in truth. You know what it literally means? It means it celebrates truth. It sees truth and it celebrates it. It it says that it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. I mean, it is is something that is far-reaching. And it reaches beyond. I think the definition that we're given here, it reaches beyond what we're capable of producing in our flesh. It's a supernatural way of living. And he's saying, let that kind of love be there for you. And then here's another one. A spiritual life is a life of genuine love by reacting tenderly. Reacting tenderly. Look at verse 10. Be kindly, kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. The word brotherly could be identified as a, a family kind of love. 
It's interesting that all through the scriptures, Paul, especially in his writing, tells us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's that whole idea that we're part of a family. And when we show up on Sunday mornings, hopefully we see this as a, as a family coming together and celebrating God's victory over death and celebrating the fact of what his blood can do to cleanse us for, and make us righteous in his name and, and all the wonderful things that come from that. But it's not only that, it's the idea of us sitting here and it teaches us to react to one another. It teaches us how to demonstrate to one another what a family looks like. And that's exactly what we're finding in these verses. Be kindly affectionate toward one another with brotherly love, with family love. Next, a genuine love by demonstrating honor. Now listen to this. It says, in honor, giving preference to one another. Now do we live in a world that says that? What do we live in? We live in a world that says this. I have rights. I have rights to this. I have rights to that. I have, how dare you infringe upon my rights? We live in a world where it's me only or me centered. We live in a world in which our flesh can be called up. The, the very flesh that, that Christ died for, to redeem, to even in that, that many times we can, we can come out from under what he's provided for us and live and act unbecoming because of some things that are out there that we want to defend. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes it's just whatever, the truth we want to live under instead of what he desires. But this verse, the last part of verse 10 is talking about putting others above yourself. You know what's interesting about putting others above yourself? You know where it should show up the most is in the family. Many times that's not where we see it, is it? But we're called to give preference to give honor to others. How about this? A spiritual life is a life of contagious zeal. To me, this is probably what is missing most in the Christian community. We have so much to celebrate in our lives. We have so much in our lives to, to celebrate, to be inspired by. That we should live our lives in such a way. And I said this last week, and it's funny how the Lord is just impressing this upon my heart. That we are to live a life of inspiration Think about it. Who are you inspiring? Who are you inspiring with your life? Is it a life that does inspire? In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, this is what I think it's saying. Not lagging in diligence. It's the whole idea of aspiring to or a persistent effort. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That means we're inspiring people all around by the life that God has given us and us just living it out to be inspired, to inspire others. How do you do that? By being contagious with enthusiasm, being passionate, an attitude that inspires. You, you know, a, a Christian who's always down in the mouth, that's not a good representation of what's been given to us. You do know that, right? A Christian should have zeal, should have passion, should be fervent, should be living a life that just inspires those around us. How many of you love those people that, that do inspire you? It's like when you see them coming, it's almost like, yes, I, I can't wait. I'm going to be entertained, not entertained, but I'm going to get to have communication with that person or I'm going to get to talk because they're inspiring. Here's another one. 
A spiritual life is a life of optimistic endurance. Number one, by being positive. How many of you agree that we need some positivity around us sometimes? I was telling a couple people this past weekend, and I said, I don't know about you, but sometimes the news really gets me down. And I had to, I had to gauge that. Sometimes I'm not even aware of what it does to me. 24-7 news cycles can really mess up a person. I'm just going to tell you. And sometimes I'll get into it too much. And I'll start listening to all the negativity. And I'll start listening and start thinking gloom and doom. How many of you get there? Oh, the next generation, bless their hearts. It's not going to be the same America we lived in. And some of that may be rightfully said and may be partially true. But can God use every generation to imprint who he is on that generation? Of course he can. But sometimes I get so down on the mouth. You know what I literally have to do? I have to just cut off the TV. Quit listening to certain radio stations. And just say, you know something? God is in control. I don't need to fall into the negativity that is moving me in that direction. Because sometimes I just get angry. How many of you ever thrown something at the TV before? How many of you just find yourselves just saying, you're an idiot. You are an idiot. That's not becoming what we're reading here. But that's what stirred in my heart sometimes. And, and sometimes we've got to be careful with what we're allowing to come in. Listen, here's what it says in verse 12. Rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. I want you to think about this. When he wrote this, they were dying, living out what I'm talking about. They were being persecuted. They were being executed. And he's talking about rejoicing and hope. He's talking about, let's focus on the positive. Let's focus on what God is doing. They had every right to be down in the mouth. That's the reason it was so supernatural. Rejoicing and hope. Next, a spiritual life is a life of optimistic endurance by being patient. Now, of course, what he says here in verse 12, he says, patient in tribulation. Now, now think about this. Tribulations would be the things that we go through that I would guarantee we'd wish we didn't have to go through. How many of you are living in some of that right now? Yeah, some of you are living it with health, with relationships, with just where you find yourself in life right now. And all of a sudden, you're sitting here and you're wondering, where's this leading? Based on the authority of God's word, it's leading to a place where it will better you. And you're sitting here thinking, how? Well, that's the great mystery, isn't it? Sometimes we won't know till we get on the other side. But I'm here to tell you all things work together for those who love God. And, and are clinging to what is good. And clinging to the fact that you can trust him no matter where you are. And what you're going through. But he's talking about being patient. Trusting God with the moment. Next, optimistic endurance by being prayerful. By just going before God. Sometimes, listen, sometimes prayer is just crying out before God. Sometimes prayer is not, and dear God, please help Mama Sue and help Gigi. And I mean, just the, this list that we put before him. Have you ever had a crying out kind of prayer towards God? Have you ever done that? Is it okay to do that? Yeah, read the Psalms. A lot of crying out. God, why are you allowing this in my life? God, I don't understand. God, please help me to understand. God, help me through this time. Help me to understand what you're up to in this process. Many times that's what the psalmist was crying out for. 
And so many times we just miss it. We, we, now think about this. Optimistic endurance happens when things are tough. We then should, listen, be patient in the situation, expect the best outcome that God is working for our good, and never stop praying. Can I tell you what all three of these things have in common? They're all about perspective. Perspective. You got to get to the right perspective about what's going on in your life. You got to have the right perspective of what God is up to, the calling he's placed on your life, the gifting he's given you, the desire of you living out the life he desires you to have. You got to have perspective and you will never get perspective unless you're patient in the situation, expect the best outcome and never stop praying. Just holding on sometimes. Now we're on the new part. Today, a spiritual life is a life of generous hospitality. Generous hospitality. Now, when we think of this, we think all kinds of things. Hospitality. Let me tell you this. One thing that defined uh, the good Jews, so to speak, back when they were seen as God's people, is they were good at hospitality. They opened their homes. They opened themselves. And, and, and we see all that. So listen to this. The concept of sharing in the Bible is the concept of fellowship. How many of you heard of fellowship? Yeah. Now, when we, we say fellowship many times, what are we saying? Come out for chicken, casseroles, uh, bean supper, uh, music to follow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, never mind. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Sometimes I can't help myself. It's funny. It's funny you're up here and you're, you're thinking things and thinking things and your mind saying, don't say it, don't say it. Ah, you said it. <laughs> so how do you have fellowship? By meeting others' needs. You know how most Americans live their lives? We're one of the wealthy. We are the wealthiest nation in the world. If you don't believe it, go to a third world country. Go to a second world country, whatever that is. Go to some other place other than here. And you'll realize how blessed we truly are. And yet we're called to share with the needs of others. And, and, and that's a big deal. Look at what it says in Romans 12, 13, distributing to the needs of others. That means you see a, a need out there and you see a saint, you see someone, a brother and sister in Christ, and you, you attempt to reach out. Now, I'm not talking about reaching out so much that they grow, have a dependency upon you, that they're living off of you, but you're helping with them. You're, you're being discerning enough to help them to a point that it helps them for their good. You understand what I'm talking about? There's a difference. You have to be discern, discerning in your help for people. Sometimes we just totally miss it. Something that uh, I think is healthy is for Christians, and I think you ought to do this. I, I do think you ought to give to the church. I, I think God man, mandates that. I think the work of the ministry is very important to our community and what we're trying to do in, throughout the world. But let me tell you this. I think personally... I think it would pay us all, and, and we try to practice this in our home, by, by saving some money that not only comes to the church, we save some money to meet the needs of other people. If we hear a need, we try to reach out to meet that need. And I think it's important that we do that. That's part of us sharing in hospitality. Here's a big one, generous hospitality. How, how do you do that? How do you have fellowship, number two, by opening our hearts? 
Look at the latter part of verse 13, given to hospitality. When you're given to something, listen, your heart's involved. When you're given to something, you believe in what you're doing. And basically, with our home and basically our heart, they, we need to let others in. How many, of you, how many of you have been around people that keep you at a distance? You ever been around that? I have to be careful to guard against that. I do. I don't think that's hospitality, however. I think when you're keeping people at the distance. Now, some of you, you're keeping people at a distance because there's been something in your life that has harmed you in such a way. Maybe it's some type of abuse or whatever. That, that, that's your natural reaction. You keep people at a distance. And I, kinda, I, I get that dealing with people who have been abused. I, I get that. But I don't think you need to, to live there. I think you can get help beyond that. I think good counseling, coming along, other people coming alongside of you. But it's going to require you to start opening up. But I get it. I really do get it. I'm not being insensitive to it. But we've been called to live a life of hospitality that not only opens our homes, but opens our hearts. Where we have the ability to come alongside of one another and talk to one another in such a way that's transparent. And talk to one another in which it's real. And get to the real place of where we really are. There's a couple of connect groups that meet. That is going on. I'm not in those connect groups, but I hear what's going on in those connect groups. And it is amazing when Christians come together and they begin to share their heart and they begin to ask others, listen, here's where I'm struggling. Pray for me. This is a need in my life. I need you to pray for me. Desperately do I need you to pray for me. That's given to hospitality. That's being real. That's not walking in here and saying, yeah, I see these people. They're not going to get close to me. Uh-uh. It's not walking in here and putting on a mask. It's walking in here and saying, you know something? These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people that need me to be what God's called me to be. And that's opening my heart. And, and y'all, that's where we are. That's what we're called to do. I wanted to share something with you. I told the staff not long ago, and I think I shared it on Wednesday night. Social media. Now, I'm not... I'm not one that beats up social media all the time. I, I do, I'm starting to see some things that it's causing in people's lives because I do talk to people. But social media is very misleading. How many of you agree with me? <laughs> it's very misleading. Not all people, but most people put their best foot forward. They want you, it's not so much who you are on social media, it's who you desire other people to see you as, you, as what you want them to see. How many of you have picked up on that? Yeah, and it's that whole idea that life's going great. Now, man, it, we're just putting it out there. We're putting it out there. And, and there's people who go on there, and their life is not great. And they're wondering, what's wrong with me? And why can't I have that person? And why hasn't God sent that person? And, and why hasn't God blessed me with this? They don't bother to tell you they've been in, they're in debt up to their ears. And <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Phonies. Let your love be how? Without hypocrisy. Take the mask off. Be given the hospitality. Open your heart. Be transparent. Let other people see your mistakes, what you've learned through those mistakes, what your regrets are, how, how you're working through those regrets. And, and listen, y'all, listen. That, there's just healthiness about that. Not only for the person that probably needs it, it's healthy for you. For us. To quit pretending 
and just be what God's called us to be and admit when we get it wrong. Admit it. And say, listen, I need you to pray for me in this area. I told our pastors, I said, you know, I think social media is setting the church up beautifully. I really do. I think the way social media is going and the way people use it to try to put their best foot forward, to try to present themselves in ways that's in some ways not even realistic for most people. I think what it's going to do is going to continue to create voids in people's hearts. Why don't I have what they have? Why are they getting all that? Why is this? How does it always seem to work out for other people? And I turn on and Joe over here, this, I mean, it's all beautiful for him. It's all just, what's wrong? Well, Joe may not be telling you the whole story. Mary may be saying, yeah, I'm really hurting in my marriage. And my husband, he's borderline emotionally abusing me. But I'm just going to tell you how great it is. It's going to create a void that I believe the church will be able to fill in the future. I think possibly in the future, the church's greatest opportunity for revival the opportunity to inspire people and to get in there with people is to just be transparent and quit playing games and quit trying to pretend like you're something you're really not and get in there and just say, you know something? It is tough. That's where it's going to happen. And I believe the church can fill that void. I know, I know Christ can, and we carry the message of Christ. Here's another one. The spiritual life is a life of unconditional response. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How many of you practiced that one this past week? <laughs> That's a hard one to live out, isn't it? The Phillips translation says it this way. Bless those who try to make your life miserable. Anybody got those people in your life? The word bless literally means think and speak well of. When someone criticizes you, you are to speak well of them. But as we all know, our natural inclination is to criticize them back. It sometimes strikes out at us. Our natural inclination is always strike back. You're not going to get one on me. Uh-uh. If you hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. Is that what this is saying? No. I came across this story some years ago, and I love this story, but... Some officers during the Korean War had rented a house for themselves and hired a Korean houseboy to work for them. He was a cheerful young man. I mean, everywhere he went, he had a glowing smile about him. And, and the officers, they were young, and they loved to play tricks. And many times, they would nail his shoes to the floor. They put water over the door so when he opened the door, the water would fall on him. They played all kinds of tricks, but he always took it so well and with a smile. They finally began to be ashamed of themselves. So one day they called him in and said, you know, we've been doing all these things, things to you, and you've taken it so well. We want to apologize to you and tell you we're never going to do these things again. The young Korean boy said, you mean no more nails, uh, nail, nail shoes to the floor? You mean no more water on the door? He then, the Korean young man said this, Okay, then, no more spit and soup. <laughs> That's not exactly the way you're supposed to handle it. <laughs> Bless those who persecute you. 
and bless and do not curse. A spiritual life is a life of sympathetic feelings. In Romans 15, or uh, the verse 15 of 12, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now think of this, y'all. Don't you love being around that kind of person? Think about what they're doing. When you are up, they celebrate with you. They celebrate your victories. They're there with you. They celebrate those victories. When you're down, somehow they understand how to sympathize with you. How many of you love those kind of people? We love those people, don't, they? don't we? But that's, that's the genuineness of fellowship. That's, that's support. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says this. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. So what are we talking about here? Being sympathetic to each other's feelings is the whole idea. Number one, being sensitive. By, by sizing someone up, if we're literally going to meet the needs of others, if we're going to be hospitable with our hearts, if we're going to be there for people, then we must be sensitive. I know people would just say anything. Just mouth comes open, something comes out. They walk away. It's like it would be no different sometimes than someone just throwing a grenade in the room. You ever been around that? And you're sitting there like, what was that all about? What does that even mean? And, and so many times people just say stuff. They're not sensitive. They don't size up things. The only thing they want to do is just speak their mind. Quit looking at each other. <laughs> Being sympathetic to each other's feelings, not responding in the flesh. Listen to this. Good things. You know, many, you know how most people, not most, I should say. I'm judging. I've got to be careful with this. You know how many people respond to people who get good news and good things happen to them? They respond with jealousy and envy. You know what I'm talking about? That's not what this is saying. We're to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And then sometimes with those who are weeping, you know how you know what our natural inclination is? It is to be filled with pride, thinking, well, at least I'm not there. So glad I'm not there. But weep with those who are weeping. Be in support of one another. That's what he's talking about here. Being sympathetic to each other's feelings. Here's another one. A spiritual life is a life of impartial fellowship. In Romans 12, 16, it says, Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't play favorites. Treat everyone with respect. Don't think you're too good for some people. Now, let's face it. We're all at different levels of economically and educationally we're all at different levels the fact is in Christ you know what the Bible says we're all one we're all one I never want this to be said of me and I try so hard because our natural inclination is to move towards what the world holds up you, you see what I'm saying this is who we need to be focused on, the athlete, this person, this person. We know nothing about them except for they can throw a ball through a hoop. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and we're told this. Is, so when this shows up, you need to be in awe. When this shows up, man, you, when you walk into a crowd, do, do you find those people that can kind of lift you up or inflate you a little bit and make you feel a little bit better because you can hang out with them? Sometimes I lose sight of this. 
And you know how the best way to correct it? Sometimes when I walk in a room with a crowd, I look. You may say, well, you're bragging. I'm really not bragging because I've just told you sometimes I struggle with not doing what I've been called to do or what God's called me to do. Sometimes to fix it, I walk into a room purposely knowing this needs to be corrected in my life. I walk into the room and I look for the least of these. What the world would say the least of these, by the way. And I try to find them and seek them out. Because I know my natural inclination is just like yours. We want to be seen with the famous. We want to be seen with those who have accomplished what we think have accomplished much. We need to look out for those that are what the world says. Again, they may be the best of these, but the world would say are the least of these. We need to keep perspective, especially when it comes to being a Christian. And then I love the end of verse 16. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people. How many of you know, how many of you know at least one know-it-all? I love the end of verse 16. Do not be wise in your own opinions. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're, you're, you know anybody like that? Know-it-all? How many of you have used the phrase, you just think you're a know-it-all? You're a know-it-all. How many of you honestly have used that phrase? Raise your hand. I have. I have. My wife has said it. <laughs> and, and the thing that we need to understand is, is that's not what it looks like. That's not the way it's supposed to look. Did you know we can learn something from everyone if we'll just shut up and listen? We can. We can learn something from everyone if we'll just be quiet and listen and not think our opinion is all that matters in a conversation. I like that verse. Here's another one. <laughs> Number, well, in some ways, I like it. Anyway, a spiritual life is a life of op opposite recourse. Opposite recourse. Natural recourse, or what, we, what appears to just naturally flow out of us, is it hardly ever right? No. You hit me, what, you, what, what do you feel happen inside of you? You feel your fists come together, don't you? You say, no, I would never. You at least ball up your fists, don't you? I mean, you do. You feel it. It's like you have to purposely shut it down. Our natural reaction, someone pops you upside the head is, you know, and all of a sudden, okay, that's not the Jesus way. <laughs> you have to keep it in check because naturally it just comes out. So, so here's what we have to do. How do we do that? By opposing our flesh. Our flesh says it has rights. Our flesh says, how dare you? Our flesh says all those things. And he's saying, go the opposite. How do we know that? Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Now, here's what's interesting about this verse. I've always looked at repay no one evil for evil. I, I think most of us get it. But you know what he's saying in the second part here? Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. You know what that literally means? Look for the best in all. That's kind of hard when they just pop you upside the head, isn't it? You sit there. 
Maybe they physically. Man, that was a good blow. <laughs> Man, you really know how to hit. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But it is basically saying something like this. I wonder what would drive a person. I wonder how bad a person has to be inside them or what they've gone through to cause them to react in this way. Is that the first thing we think of? No. And I'm not talking about giving people all these excuses. I'm not talking about it. But I'm honestly, if we've been called with a calling, we've been gifted in certain ways, and he says, okay, here's how I want this to flesh out. Here's what it requires. It requires us to be ministers. It requires us to look deep inside of the hearts of people as much as we can, be discerning, and meet the need that, how Jesus would meet the need. When they plucked out his beard, you made me think of that, actually, sorry. <laughs> when they plucked out his beard, they start grabbing for them? No. He had a purpose. His purpose, the purpose he came to complete, the purpose he came to required all those beatings, required all that to get to the purpose of his life. Sometimes those things like that get us to the purpose of where we are, the persecution, the, the, the person who misunderstands us, always trying to run us down, makes us miserable. Sometimes it eventually gets us to the purpose. We don't understand it, and our flesh says, how dare you? And our flesh says, I have rights. But there's a higher purpose, and that's what he's telling us. Something greater here. Look for the best in all. Again, when someone hits you, your first thought is, I'm coming back. Your first thought is, what would drive a person to do that? How bad do they need to be hurting to have a reaction like this? Do you get what I'm saying? Here's 18. This kind of gives us a little out, doesn't it? If it is possible, as much as depends on you... Live peaceably with all men. Now, what does that imply? <laughs> it implies some people you can't live with peaceably no matter what you do. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you know people like that? <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter all the things. It's, this, is what, this is always going to be the outcome. And it's going to be drama. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. It will never be peaceful I, God, am, I've tried to understand your word as clearly as I know how. I've tried to inject. I've tried to come in as you would have come into their life and, and how to do that. But it, it, it's just drama after drama. It's just something all the time. You know when you've tried everything. He's saying try everything. Next, opposite recourse by not submitting to our flesh. Look at verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what does that mean? I'm not to come back at someone who's offended me, who has hurt me. Who do I leave it to? God. Now again, you got to watch your attitude in this. It can't be your next prayer or your next thing that comes to your mind or heart after they've done something to you is, God, please get them. <laughs> and then walk away thinking, I've handled that biblically. 
No, it's that idea of just saying, God, I don't know what's up here. I don't understand what's going on here. As far as I know, that what I've done or anything I've done early should not have come with this reaction. God, whatever you see fit needs to happen in this person's life, I'm going to leave it to you. <laughs> That's a tough one, isn't it? How do we do it? Opposite recourse. By overcoming our flesh, verse 20, therefore. <laughs> the word therefore here is saying, in light of all the things I've just said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. How many of you would say that's a do what passage? Do what? <laughs> I can turn the other cheek. I can turn around and walk off. I can sit there and say, I wonder what in the world happened in his life to cause him to react like this. I can say, God... Whatever you think is needed. But you're going a step further. You're saying meet needs in this person's life. How many of you would say that's a, that is a whole different step? You'd agree with that, right? Does this even look like the way we live? Would you say it's a higher standard? It definitely is. He says, when you do that, you, you're heaping Coals of fire on their head. <laughs> it's like they curse you out or something. You have no idea where that came from. You go over there and you pick up a Coke. So here you go. <laughs> Does it not just burn when I give you the Coke? <laughs> That's not the motivation. The motivation is let God do a work in their life. You just respond the way I call you to respond and how you should respond. I will handle the rest. And if they have any inclination of, of, of no hardness in their heart, there's something that will go on within them that will bring them to the point of shame and guilt. If you'll just act the way I told you to act, then I might be able to do something in their life. They can see the contrast between your life and, and their life. And, and then maybe they can have a chance of crawling out from under the life they're living in right now and turn to Christ because you represented him so well. That's pretty tough, isn't it? And then he says in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. Don't let it overtake you. Don't let your flesh, flesh get the best of you. But overcome evil with good. This will give God a platform. This will give God the staging area to possibly transform this person's life. Or to get their attention in such a way. But if you're continuing to intersect and you're acting like the rest of the world, they're never going to get it. They don't stand a chance. Application, the spiritual life can only be lived when the flesh is crucified. I told you this last week, the word crucified literally means bring, brought to a violent death. How many of you realize your flesh doesn't go down, doesn't, doesn't just surrender itself automatically? Sometimes you have to wrestle with it, don't you? And that's the only way we're going to even come close to a genuine love for God and others is demonstrated. Now, here's my question. Of the list, which, is, which of the above is the most difficult for you? 
Can I tell you, for me personally, being transparent here with you, all of them have been difficult for me at some way or some other, some, some other way. But the key is not to try harder. The key is to understand your, you, who you are in light of God's word. First, get the understanding. That's the renewing of your mind. And begin to crucify the flesh. Every time it cries out, pop it on the head. Say, nope, not going that route. There's a higher calling that's been placed on my life. So I want to close with this. Do you inspire others with your life? And then I want to close thinking of this. Who do you prefer to hang out with? Those who bring you down. Those who build you up. But there's a third category. Those who bring others down. And you are included in it. You know what I'm talking about? And the only reason you're a part of that kind of crowd is because somehow, in some sick way, and I've been there too, you're trying to, make your, you're trying to feel better about yourself. You realize that's what people do. When they put down other people, you know what they're literally trying to do? It's not so much about putting them down. It's their attempt to elevate themselves. You do get that, right? So when someone is adamant about putting you down, their attempt is, that's just a means to get to where they want to be. It could be a low self-esteem. It could be bitterness they have in their heart. It's obviously pride. And so what they are attempting to do is they are literally, what they're doing, to get to the end, which is they want to feel better about themselves. They want to be uplifted. So what they do is they put you down. That's just the means to get to what they want to feel. You get that? And if you start living the way God, through his word, through Paul, just showed us right here, you'll be far from that. But that's how most of us react. Ushers, would you come forward, please, at this time? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you again for your word. And, and Lord, this is the part that's so difficult. When we start looking at verses like this and we see there's a higher standard, we see that there's, there is a, a, the whole idea that the flesh has to be crucified and Father, I just pray for each of us that we'll take a careful evaluation and inspection of ourselves, Father, to, to look deeply within our hearts, to see what's missing, to see what's out of order, to see what doesn't match up with what your word says. Father, help us to be people who take your word seriously, who take your word in such a way that, that it, is, it becomes the driving force in their life where they can be an inspiration to those who just needs something that's real out there in life, a true love for others. Father, we pray you take this offering and use it as we attempt to continue to do what you call us to do to reach people in this community and the world, Father. Help us to be mindful of what you called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.